Welcome back to another Yak podcast. This is um, our talk from the RYM conference where we discussed developing a theology of technology. Uh, it was called um, Keeping Your iPhones from Becoming Idolatry. This is part one. Hope you enjoy. Um, before I begin, uh, who has heard of, um, what's it called? Um, a TV. Um, who has heard of a TV? Who's used a television before? Okay, so you all use televisions, it's awesome. Uh, there's nothing, uh, they used to come in platforms, and then there's a screen and a big printer. Oh, it's a computer. Who's used a computer here before? Okay, awesome. So we got people who use something called technology. Okay, um, so who has an iPhone on them? Turn it off. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, but if you have, who has a phone? Who has a phone? Okay, some of you don't have phones yet. Hallelujah, we're hitting you before you get there. Um, some of you have phones and you're already addicts. Um, so we're going to talk about that. We live, we, we, you saw the hands, we live in a digital age. Um, screen time, uh, 4.7 hours a day, um, is what people are kind of locked into on average. Um, that's including phone, TV, computer, all that stuff. For your age, it's higher. It's more than seven hours a day um, for the average person who's hooked onto a screen. Um, it's affecting you, like literally. Like nearsightedness in this country has doubled in the past decade. Um, anxiety, um, we're gonna talk about ADHD on Tuesday, on oh, no, Wednesday. Um, it, it is literally affecting your body. The way we hunch, our posture is awful. Um, even dancers now have bad posture, you know? Um, a decade ago, you could tell a dancer when they walked in the room just because they, they walked like a dancer. Um, so we're going to talk about some of that today. Uh, before I begin, I want to kind of get some housekeeping out of the way. Um, there was a Morph Magazine article that I read about four years ago called Fast Zombies Around Us uh, by Adam Robinson. And that kind of turned me on to this subject of connecting technology with our theology because we live in a digital world. So how do we do that? So if you want a good primer on the subject, that's a good one. You can find it online, Fast Zombies Around Us by Adam Robinson, Morph Magazine. And the book um, that I think is a great resource, it's by Tim Chalice. Um, it's called The Next Story, um, Life and Faith After the Digital Explosion. That's a really good resource. If you like what we talk about the next few days um, and you know what reading is um, or a book, um, then you can go and read it and it helps you connect life and technology. So those are two good resources. Um, really, I'm indebted to them for a lot of the material that we're going to cover the next couple days. So that's out of the way. You know uh, where I'm um, perjuring from, um, and you'll get to see all the information. So um, my undergraduate degree was in theater. Any theater people in here? Anybody? Yes, yes, my people. Okay, thespians unite. Um, so my undergraduate degree is in theater, so I'm going to set this up as a theater uh, geek, kind of where we're going. Today we're going to set the stage. Uh, we're going to see the lighting, we're going to see the props we're using, we're going to take a look at the scenery, um, we're going to kind of see how we got to where we got. Um, why are we here? What does the stage look like? Um, to pour, towards the end of the day, if we have enough time, I'm going to introduce you to the characters. Uh, the characters are you, um, you are the characters in the story, um, so you, how do you interact with the scenery? Um, how does the scenery affect you as a character? We're going to talk about that day two 
And then day three, um, we're going to begin to overcome the problem. If you've ever seen a uh, movie, any movie people in here? Okay, you've seen movies, you've read books, good. You understand the concept called story. Stories are written for this purpose. Every story ever written has a problem, and the characters have to overcome the problem. That's the purpose of writing the story. And the problem in this story is that our iPhones have become our idols. And maybe it's for you, it's not your iPhone. You don't have an iPhone yet, but your idol is your Xbox, it's your PS4, it's your computer game, it's your level 40 dwarf on World of Warcraft. It is a myriad of different things that it might be for you, but some digital thing has your heart, it has your soul, it, it, it is what you run to in your times of boredom, it's where you find your identity, your idea of who am I, you answer those questions by typing it on the Google search bar and seeing what comes up. So how do we overcome the problem? How do we live as ambassadors for the king, which is what you are if you are a Christian, if you are a new creation, if you are a Christian, you are an ambassador of the king. How do we live for ambassadors of the king in a set, in a world, in a scenery with lighting that is brand new? You are living in an age that is different from any other age that has come before. So how do we, in this new landscape, live out being a Christian? How do we do that? So today, we're going to talk about the scenery. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in, okay? So, Father God, so we take, boys, take our cast. Father God, we ask for focus as we dive into the subject of how we got here. Uh, Lord, uh, you have predestined us for this time in history to engage with the world in a specific way. And when a world finds itself uh, more comfortable on their phones than they do with people, how does the gospel infiltrate that? How does the good news of Christ and the relationship that you offer us infiltrate that world? Uh, Lord, give us honesty as we look at our own sins and struggles. Um, give us clarity as we try to deal with it. And Lord, may we love you more and understand you more the light of what we learned these next couple days, um, and, and take up the challenges as we move forward. In your son's name, amen. Tim Chalice begins his book with a riveting story. Um, it is, uh, takes place on October 30th, 1961. Okay, that was an actual time in history before you were born. Okay. The Soviet Union, yeah? The Soviet Union created a bomb, and they called it Zardamba. Huh? King of Bombs. Yes? Yes? This multi-stage thermonuclear warhead with explosive power range of 50 megatons. Equivalent to detonating 50 million tons of TNT. It's good. Hmm? Big boom. This made it 1,400 times more powerful than the bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. 1,400 times more powerful. In fact, the explosive force of the bomb alone was 10 times more powerful than the total amount of explosives used during the Second World War, including the two bombs dropped on those two cities in Japan. It's hard for most of us to understand 50 million tons of TNT would look like, so let's try to imagine it. Do I got any swimmers in here? You want the swim team? Yeah? So, swimmer and theater person, you're just like, 
We're connecting today. This is awesome. Hey, so swimmers, you'll get this because you live in a pool. So imagine an Olympic-sized swimming pool. This is not your community pool. This is not your backyard pool. This is where we put primed athletes to swim distances in a very short amount of time. Large, very deep. They dive into it, too. Fill it with TNT from one end to another, top to bottom. Light it on fire. Big boom. Yeah, big boom. Okay? Big boom. Now, let's do that. Ten times. Bigger boom? Yeah, big, bigger, bigger boom. Okay? Now, let's do it hundred times. Bigger boom? Bigger boom. Let's do it a thousand times. All at the same time. Boom, shakalaka. Yeah? <laughs> boom. Okay? The explosive amount of energy in this bomb that was dropped on October of 1961 could fill 11,000, 11,000, not 1,100, 11,000 pools, Olympic sized swimming pools with TNT, top to bottom, left to right. And all that explosive power was shut into a 26 foot long, 6 foot diameter bomb. Welcome to Russia. <laughs> At 11.32 a.m., the weapon detonated 13,000 feet above the surface of Michisica Bay test range on the Barents Sea Island far above the Arctic Circle. The flash of the light from the explosion was visible over 600 miles away. So imagine this is dropped in Nashville, Tennessee. From here, you can see the light. Oh, there's something that happened in Nashville. You don't know, you just saw a light. Maybe it's aliens, maybe it's the new Independence Day trailer. You don't know what it is. <laughs> but all you know is that 49 minutes later, you finally hear the sound. Boom. What was that? That was a thing 49 minutes ago, big light in the sky. It hit a 7.1 on the Richter scale when the explosion hit, which means it was still leaving traces. They could pick it up on the Richter scale after the third time it had gone around the globe. The fireball reached from the ground to 34,000 feet in the air. A person standing 60 miles away from the blast would have experienced third-degree burns from the heat. The mushroom cloud rose almost 40 miles into the sky. That's seven times higher than Mount Everest. None of you have climbed that, but it's a big mountain that people die on trying to get to the top. And had a diameter of 25 miles. Windows were shattered as far as 600 miles away, and again, the shockwave is 7.1 on the Richter scale. Sometime after the desolation, it doesn't say when, but it's Russia, so it's probably like, the day after, we'll go in. Um, the team was sent to ground zero, the epicenter of the explosion, to see the results. They reported, not surprisingly, that there had been utter devastation. <laughs> The ground surface on the island had been leveled, swept, and lit, so it looked like a skating rink. The same goes for rocks. The snow had melted, the sides and edges were shiny. There's not a trace of unevenness in the ground. Everything in this area has been swept clean, scorched, melted, and blown away. The area of total and complete destruction was 44 miles in diameter. That's a big skating rink. Okay, we can hold the Olympics on that site and not have to do any legwork to get rid of it. So let's talk this through. Um, what were the effects, let's see if you were listening, what were the effects of the bomb 
if I call, you can raise your hand, but if I call on you, it'll be something you're wearing. So you'd be Captain America if I call on you. Okay. So who, what were some of the effects of the bomb? This is an easy question. This is softball. Yes? Yeah, so it, it took everything out. Another observation. Yes? Shattered windows. How many miles away? Okay, so it's not only causing problems in the epicenter, it's affecting the a surrounding area by a large margin. Yes? Okay, so it creates some waves and some hard rock. Yes? Oh, if you're not raising your hand, you're distracted. You want to give me one? Okay, you don't know what happened. Anyone else want to take a guess on what's another thing? Yes? Boom. Boom. It was hurt. Did it change the environment? Yes. Okay. Easy one. Did it have a lasting impact? Or was it a one-time thing and there are trees growing there the next day? Lasting. Yeah, there's a lasting impact that takes place. Okay. What about this? Psychological angle. I think it created fear. I think it created fear. This is 1961. Um, Cold War. Um, Kingdom bombs. Kingdom bombs. Um, it creates fear. Here's a question. And I want answers for both. Uh, are people who don't understand it more fearful, or are people who understand what happened more fearful? Okay, I have an understand, do I have an not understand? Texas. Not understand. Why do you think the not understand? So the unknown creates fear, doesn't it? You see a big flash of light, and then 49 minutes later you hear something. For you, the understanding, you said understand. Why do you think understand? Because people know how destructive they can be. Okay, I literally know down to this, the Olympic sized swimming pool, how destructive this baby can be. There's fear there. There's understanding what they've created. I mean, if you saw the movie um, Age of Ultron, um, Tony Stark probably understood the fear of Ultron more than anyone else because he had created it. Okay? So you have this fear that happens, um, both from the unknown and from the people who understand it. Both. Uh, look, um, what, about, what about technology? So let's take some of our answers and remove them to the technological realm. How are some of our answers similar? What some of our answers are the same? What are, what are, which one are our answers? Yes? Could um, cause long-term damages. Okay, so it has long-term effects. Okay, your tweet will always be with you. That one tweet, you all know what I'm talking about. Maybe. Anything else? Does it affect just you? No. It literally affects the people around you. The use of technology will affect the people around you. Whether they're using it or not, whether they're addicts or not, it will affect people around you. Is it isolated or is it long range? Long range. Is there an epicenter? Yeah. It's called Korea. I'm just kidding. Um, so here's where we're at. Um, I am not... I am not comparing your iPhones with an atom bomb. Okay, you need to understand that. 
Um, but on a, on a micro level, um, it can have damage that is just as sweeping and painful, um, if not more for the fact that you have to live with it, um, than an atom bomb that just ends it. But technology tool, too, it's a tool. Um, it can change the world just like penicillin did. Um, many of you don't know what penicillin is because you live in an age full of penicillin. Before, if you got cut, it could get affected and you could die. Okay? And that changed the world because now you know how to treat bacterial infections. Boom shakalaka. Okay? It has a lasting impact on the world. And the way you use your tools, your piece of technology, will impact the people around you, will impact you, clearly, um, and the way you use it will have lasting significance. Does that make sense, Bueller? Okay. Hey, um, the first term I kind of want you to walk away with, you're taking notes, is the term digital native. Okay, let's take it from the RYM dictionary. Can someone define digital for me? What do you think digital means? You don't have to have Webster's, I just want yours. What do you think digital means? Go for it. Electronic. Electronic. So something electronic, it has to do with electronics. Particularly has some power run into it. Want to get it another? Oh, okay. You give me native. What do you mean by native? Well, familiar or common. Yeah. So native is you know, they're familiar with the area, so you would call someone who's a native to this country someone who's familiar with it. Um, it's common. Typically, natives are common in the country. So, you are digital natives. You have never known a time to where a screen was not available for you. Uh, I just took a road trip with uh, my children. I got a one-year-old and a three-year-old. 16 hours in a car one day. Why? Because I love my wife. Um, 16 hours in the car one day. Well, so what do we use? We use screens to entertain the child so they're not <laughs> the whole time. Okay? Which means daddy can't drive because daddy's going to go crazy. Okay? So we use electronic screen time. They will never know a time where a screen was not available to them. Your digital native. My mother. My mother's not a digital native. My mother's one of the smartest people I know. Like by far. When you get your bill from the hospital or when your parents do, that's her fault. She runs hospital billing departments all across the country. She's in charge of a couple dozen hospitals. Um, she's brilliant in her field. She just knows it. She knows how to manage people. But every Christmas this happens. The new piece of technology is brought out. <laughs> and my mom gets this quizzical look. What do I do with this? Like, she just, like, where's the power? How do I turn this thing on? Like, there's just, there's not a knowledge, an almost ingrained or common knowledge for her. I'm waiting for my three-year-old son to run up to her, jump on the couch, and be like, let me show you how to work with grandma. Because um, my three-year-old is facing complete sentences, right? Um, that was a joke. You can laugh. Um, so you have this, you're a native, and then people are living with immigrants. That's why a lot of times you're just really frustrated with your parents. Mom, figure this out. It's, it's easy. It's just the power button, and then you click the channel button, and you can get to your show. How do I record? Who's Tina? Who do I need to call? Okay. Um, you're a digital native, and the world, you're living in a world of digital immigrants. You see, it wasn't too long ago that the world was very, very different. Uh, so let's set the stage to where we've come. I taught history for three years, and one of the phrases I used 
in history is that we're, we can take the look at the micro, the stars, but the, and they're important. But if you don't understand the constellations, the stars don't have as much meaning. So today we're going to kind of look at the constellations, the big picture of what we've seen before we move into the individual stars and how it's affecting your life. Um, because it's important. If you don't understand where you've come from, one, you're doomed to repeat history. I'm sure you've all seen that as a tweet or a Snapchat or whatever. Um, you're doomed to repeat history, and you better understand who you are. Um, who you are as a native. You have to understand what is commonplace and how we got there. Does that make sense? Stay with me. There will be some conversation, I promise. So how did we get here? We got here on the speed of a horse. We got here on the speed of a horse. You might have heard the story of Paul Revere, who was paying attention in U.S. history. Paul Revere, the midnight ride of Paul Revere to the New England countryside. I think it's best told by the poet Henry Longsfellow. Let's listen to this poem real quick. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. On the 18th of April in 75, hardly a man is now alive, who remembers that famous day and year. He said to a friend at the British march by land or sea from the town tonight, hang a lantern aloft in the Belfry Arch of the North Church Tower as a signal light. One if by land and two if by sea and I on the opposite shore will be ready to ride and spread the alarm through every Middlesex village and farm from the country folk to be up and alarm. If you know your history, they came by land. Yes, they came across the ocean, but then they attacked by land. Extra credit, first battle, U.S. history, well, U.S. Revolution is... Okay, pay attention. Lexington and Concord. Now you can pass middle school. You're good. Okay, Lexington and Concord, first battle. Um, they attacked. We might have attacked them. We don't know. Um, shot was fired, and then they marched. And the Patriots, we gave them Hades the whole march. We introduced the British to something called guerrilla warfare, uh, which we still use today. Shot them from behind trees while they stayed in straight little rows. And then we laughed as we ran to the next tree. Um, but that news was traveled over horseback. People didn't hear about it because Paul Revere sent out a tweet. You know, hashtag US Revolution. Hashtag Cubans Fire. Like, that wasn't there. If you wanted information, you had to hear about it via horseback. That's how information had moved for over 3,000 years. Napoleon marching on Paris, horseback. Martin Luther nailing the 95 pieces to the door in Wittenberg, horseback. Um, you have uh, the Jerusalem, the falling of Jerusalem to the Muslims and the Crusades, horseback. News throughout the Roman Empire, horseback. You all are paying attention. Excellent. Right. Horseback. Um, it had been that way for as long as we've put saddle to steed. And if we didn't have a horse, information traveled as quickly as it could on foot. So. The Athenians beat the Persians in the Battle of Marathon in 490 BC. A guy named Pheidippides runs 26 miles to Athens to tell the Athenians that we have actually beat the Persians, and then he falls down, according to legend, dead. The cost of information was very high for him, and now we run marathons for fun. <laughs> um, the information for him cost him his life, because the information was priceless at that point. Now here's an aside. Can I borrow your phone? Let's get a phone. I'm not gonna like call your mom. Right? Okay, my phone's just recording. Okay, so here's an aside. When I was kind of going through this on horseback, talking, reading through history, one of the things that got me is that I get anxious when I text somebody. And I see that they've read it. 
Some of you have been there? You can see it on your phone. And they better get back to you. <laughs> I know you've read it. I know you've read it, Brian. Call now. Now. I don't care if you're in the middle of class. Get back to me. We are so, we get anxious. Like, we get, come on. What are we going to say? Are we going to have lunch together in two hours or not? I got it out. Like, we get stressed over some of the silliest stuff because we think information, you've grown up where information has always been instantaneous. Anyone else get stressed over not knowing? Imagine how much more calm and chill were people when they weren't going to know an answer to something until their friend got back on horseback to tell them. I mean, we live in an age where we are stressed beyond measure. That's measurable statistically. And I think a lot of it comes down to if the information has always been at our fingertips and we suddenly don't have information, we don't know how to deal with it. That gets into trust in the Lord with that stay free. Um, so I'll spend time there. So pause and think about that, how much slower everything went. And sometimes that had dire consequences. The lack of information travel can have dire consequences. In January of 1850, one of the last battles of the War of 1812, you can play that out in your head, War of 1812, last battle of 1815. Um, that's fought. You have hundreds of people who died, and thousands of people who are taken prisoner or are um, or are injured during the battle. But the war had been over for two weeks, and they just hadn't gotten the information yet. That's not the only battle in history. It happened during the Civil War, happened during the U.S. Revolution as well. Probably every major war has still fought battles after it was over. They just hadn't received news of it yet. Then, the steam engine arrived. 1698, I know y'all remember the year. Now what took... Ten days for the Pony Express to get information from St. Louis to L.A. took half the time. It took as much time as the train man could shuffle coal into the broiler. Information began to travel much quicker, thanks to the steam engine. Um, then, about 150 years later, 1844, Samuel Morse. Okay, another, I'm a, US, I'm a teacher. Um, so, world history, what does Samuel Morse invent? Texas. Morse code. Uh, what do you use, what do you type Morse code on? Yes, Minecraft. It's the... Uh, you saw it in the museum once. Phonograph? Nope. That's not it. You use this button. Yes, you use oh, this button. Telegraph. What's it called? What's it called? Yes. Telegraph. It is the telegraph. Everyone say telegraph with me. Now you are more intelligent. It's wonderful. Okay. So the telegraph was invented, and he famously typed the words or the, uh, the verse, Numbers 23, 23, which says this, What hath God wrought? That was the first information sent over the telegraph. And Sam had kicked off, or Sammy as I like to call him, he had kicked off the information age. Now information was not limited to the time it took on roads and tracks, but how quickly your finger could tap. Within two decades, almost all of America was wired, and cables even stretched across the Atlantic Ocean linking whole continents in what one historian has uh, termed the Victorian Internet. The whole world shrunk, especially in the world of news. Newspapers, which before carried local news broadly, and world news as it arrived on horseback and train, now were made aware of world news within a day. So suddenly the local newspaper 
showed a lot more national information than it did, you know, so-and-so's dog died on Fifth Street. There's no coincidence that the Associated Press came into existence four years after the Telegraph came into existence. Suddenly, we were connected like no way before. Tim Chalice, in his book, The Next Story, writes this. At the dawn of the information age, many criminals, both petty crooks and organized rings, operated within train stations. They knew they could rob and steal and then immediately hop aboard a departing train. Since nothing moved faster than a train, they were assured of a clean getaway. And after the telegraph appeared on the scene, the criminal would often find the police waiting for him on the, as the train pulled into the station down the line. Foreshadowing our own internet romances centuries later, there are even stories of online telegraph romances where a man and a woman would meet and court and sometimes marry. All through the telegraph. Localized dialects developed in which telegraphers created short forms of common words. Sound familiar? And phrases in order to save time and ease communications. I hate to break it to you, you didn't invent LOL, SMH, OMG, and other shorthands you use regularly. You didn't come up with it. Telegraph writers had much more advanced shorthand than you ever did. Sorry, I took that invention away from your generation, but it's just how it is. Okay? Um, but here is where the huge shift takes place. Pay attention, because this is where the huge shift takes place. One in which you literally feel the effects of daily, if not hourly. Before the telegraph, transformation of information was cost and time sensitive. If it was meaningless, it wasn't passed along. If you had a coworker in another city, you literally, or a friend or a pen pal, you literally had to take time and energy to send them information and ask them a question. So if you had a pen pal on the other side of the city, you had to write a letter to walk or ride down to the post station, pay postage, send the information, wait, I know you heard me, Brian, send it back, get the information, and then actually do something with it. So you didn't pass meaningless information along, especially on business matters. But now, it was instantaneous. And this is a, a big kind of, if you're taking notes, this is one of these ideas. Instead of information transferring goods, so instead of information transferring goods, by goods I mean ideas and solutions, you transferred information to solve problems. You didn't transfer information meaninglessly. I had chicken steak for dinner. You didn't do that. Information became a good in itself. So that was the huge shift. Instead of information transferring goods, information became the good. I just have to know. And we do this all the time. Hey, if you want to know something, what other movie was that actor in? Buzz, pull out my phone in the middle of the movie theater and look it up. You can have this information access to you at all times. All times. So you're in that world. You rarely don't have to know, even if it's worthless. Who cares what other movie that actor is in? Outside of just easing your own internal gossip, which I have two that live with me, but that's another talk. So gone was the idea of news as functional information. Very quickly arose the notion of news as entertainment. So where do we see news as entertainment today? Where do we see news as entertainment today? Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. That's amazing how quick, that was the, one of the first ones of the last talk too. 
We have late night television shows that talk about entertainment and news on almost every network, HBO to cable television. What's another one where we see entertainment as news? CNN. CNN. Like, just the major news networks, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, I'm going to offend everybody, okay? Everybody does entertainment as news. How many stories hourly are there on useless celebrities? I, I don't care about the latest Kardashian guy. Who should? Who, who in here should build your life around the Kardashians? None of you. But they tell us all about whatever family on the news every hour. We want that entertainment. We need to know. No, no, no. So we have the news services. Even the way we shoot them, we're going to get into some of that tomorrow. But even the way we film news now, like it's not just you know, one shot on an individual. That makes us feel awkward, believe it or not. But the camera's always moving, and uh, the way we shoot stories, it always has to be entertaining to our eye and our brain, like a type of candy, like sugar. Okay? What's another one? Twitter? Instagram. Instagram? Snapchat story? Facebook. Facebook? Who watches ESPN? Any of the guys in here? Yeah. Okay. So, do we watch ESPN to get information on the team we care about? Yeah. But if there happens to be highlights from the Cleveland Indians game last night, sure, I mean, I'll watch it. That's fun. I could care less about Cleveland or the Indians. But if it's there, I mean, we, even, we don't even watch the games. We watch the highlights most of the time because the games take too long. Like, it's just entertainment. So, it's all news. Here's the, here's the hard question. Can you name a news that doesn't have a form of entertainment married to it? Even radio. Newspaper, you got some. But what type of sections are in the newspaper? Comics, Comics sports, entertainment. entertainment. There's even a whole section entertainment, living. Coupons. Coupons. Hello. My wife would love it. Funnies. Now, you mentioned the answer in your answers to the next question. What form of information transfer after the telegraph changed information transfer from words to images? So we've gone from words to images, information transfer. Okay, I'm going to count to three. You're all going to say it. Uh, let's do the short version, not the long version. So blank dot blank. Okay, so one, two, three. TV. TV. TV changed it. TV was a huge change. We're going to talk about how that changed us on a micro level tomorrow. Um, but that was a huge shift from word to image. It took days for the images of Pearl Harbor to reach the mainland. Many people would not see images of the attack for weeks. You used to have to go to a movie theater to watch the news. It's a weird concept. Five years after the Pearl Harbor attacks, only half to 1% of homes in the United States had television. So 0.5% to 1% of televisions of homes in the U.S. had televisions. Four years after the Pearl Harbor attacks. In 1999, before you were born, TV had become the dominant leisure activity. In less than 60 years, we now spend our time, uh, how we spend our time has been drastically changed. Some of you literally can't imagine going a day without looking at a screen. And prior to even 20 years ago, that was commonplace. 
was commonplace 20 years ago in my lifetime. By the late 1990s, we had TV on for more than seven hours a day on average. Today, some of us are literally plugged into a screen the whole time we are awake. Some of you, especially your generation, the first thing you do when you get up in the morning, what has happened? Look at your phone. Right? And while it might be in your pocket during classes, the moment somebody buzzes you, or you feel a phantom buzz, which happens about every two hours to every one of us, that's what our body has done. They've created phantom buzzes. Our body's like, oh, I think I have a phone call, even though it's in the other room. Okay? Immediately there's a buzz. You can't wait. You're anxious. Like, I gotta see what happened. What happened? What happened? Um, fear of missing out is what the psychological terms call it. FOMO. Struggle with FOMO. Fear of missing out. Okay? Um, and I'm gonna, so what we're gonna do now, so that's where we're at is I'm going to pass out a worksheet. I do not have enough worksheets, so some of you are not going to get one. Come find me later. I'll get you more. Um, there was twice as many kids as I originally thought. Um, theater majors, you'll get this. Okay? Not theater majors. You're middle school. But theater people, you'll get this. If you've ever done a character biography, and the character is yourself, um, you're going to answer questions. You put your name at the top like every other sheet you've ever gotten. What time is it? Okay, so I'm going to hand this out real quick. Um, so, uh, what I need you to do is answer these on your gut. So when I ask you a question, don't overthink it. Your gut's right on these character profiles 100% of the time. Not 99%. Okay? Go with your gut. We're going to discuss these tomorrow when we discuss how you have interacted with the culture and where you're at. Be honest about it. If I don't have one for you, find me after dinner tonight. I'll get you one. So, you're up there, you're probably not going to get one. Okay? Thank you.